Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talked with my cousin, Fernando Gonzalez. He's a venture capitalist, but we talked about the public good, the altruistic side of venture capital, making financial education more fun and accessible, and the integrity and values one can bring to profit-driven work. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan, and I am so proud and delighted to introduce Fernando Gonzalez, who is uh, my friend, uh, a role model I've, I consider, and, um, uh, and, and is my cousin uh, by marriage. Uh, but Fernando <laughs> Gonzalez is the CEO at Coru. Uh, he's a partner at QED Investors. He's currently the acting CEO at Coru, which is one of QED's portfolio companies. Uh, it's based in Mexico. Uh, prior to QED, Fernando spent decades uh, working for rapid-growing organizations in the United States, uh, leveraging artificial intelligence, mobile and cloud technologies. Uh, Fernando is uh, also, uh, I would say, maybe a world-class athlete, uh, and he's just an amazing human being. His family is um, is is so admirable. I, I know his family. I mean, uh, uh, there's so much about Fernando that you will... Uh, come to appreciate in this interview. Fernando, welcome. Hey, Bruce. Thank you so much. Thanks for such a great introduction. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I miss you. You guys have been in Mexico City, so it's so uh, cool to to get to talk. That's right. It's been a long time since we saw each other in person. Yeah, it's great talking to you too, and, and uh, an honor to be in this show. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, so, so um, you, you've had uh, uh, an incredible career, but w- what's your basic story? How did you get to where you are now? So I, my basic story is to chase uh, Cousin Bruce, trying to, trying, to, trying to keep up with you, man. Um, and no, no, kidding aside, I mean, it, as, as, uh, as I've said before, I'm, I have utmost respect for your accomplishment. And it's, you're setting the bar high. Uh, let me start from where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm, as you said, I'm the CEO of Coru, and we'll get into that in, in a little bit later. Um, but, but I'm also a partner uh, of QED Investors. QED is a venture capital firm based out of, um, out of uh, Alexandria, Virginia. So a little atypical for venture capital in the sense that it's in the East Coast. Yeah, and it's, it's solely focused on, on fintech. So financial technology companies global, globally, mostly in the US, but we have a strong presence in Latin America. And that's the reason I end up moving to, to Mexico. And so it's really, really... Um, unique role of, on one hand, being a partner at, a, at an investor firm and being, um, you know, uh, part of a, a, a brilliant team of people that are choosing great founders with great business models and help them uh, accelerate and, and conquer the, the, the world. And then on the other hand, actually, uh, where I spend most of my time uh, as, as the CEO of Coru, sort of making the impossible happen, right? And, and kind of hiring amazing people that that are feel uh, you know passionate about our our mission and and plug um, through uh, break barriers and 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 uh, and get where we need to get. So that's 
that's that's a, in a nutshell my, my story. So, uh, let me just unpack a little bit of that because um, what you've said uh, just for the uninitiated. So you're a partner in a venture capital firm. So uh, there's a bunch of money, and you guys uh, look for uh, business leaders uh, and entrepreneurs who have great ideas uh, who need funding, and you've taken a position, uh, an ownership uh, investment stake in Koru, and uh, uh, sometimes. Uh, investors, they, they go out and find a management team. Sometimes they invest in an existing management team. In this case, um, they've installed you as the, the CEO. Uh, so you're actually there operating the business. That is correct, which is, to your point, it's, it's, it's not a very uncommon role. There's, uh, this, this role is called in the industry entrepreneur in residence. Uh, and that's basically what I'm doing right now. So I'm, I'm an operating partner uh, of one of the portfolio companies and I'm the acting CEO. Uh, but, but I also uh, serve duties in the investment committee and, and I, I'm, I spend little of my time sort of as eyes and ears on the ground because again, part of the, the investment thesis for the fund is in Latin America. Uh, Mexico is the second largest country for Latin America and where most of the opportunities in the Spanish speaking area are happening. So, so I get to kind of be on the ground and, and, and be the first filter for QED. But, you know, most of my time, I would say almost uh, 100% of my time is, is actually running the company, right? Because it, it requires so. so. So Mexico is second, second to Brazil? Yeah, Brazil is the largest. And Mexico is, is the second largest economy and, uh, and closest uh, geographically neighbor for, for the United States. Exactly. So a lot, lots of similarities and a lot of relevance uh, also for, for the U.S., right? Because it's, it's a corridor into the U.S., uh, a lot of the manufacturing happening here. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the capital flows into Mexico and from Mexico into the U.S. Um, easier than other countries. But ju just to give you a sense, I mean, in between Mexico and Brazil, it's, it's 70 percent of, 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 of all of Latin America. So, so those two markets themselves you know, may, are, are vastly different, but may make most of what's going on in, in, in Latin. Yeah. And people who don't know, I mean, a lot of my U.S. clients uh, have moved their manufacturing to these super high tech facilities. And it's and it's like really imp like, say, medical device manufacturing, so medical level quality. Uh, uh, they're moving to these super high tech facilities in, in Mexico. That, that is that is correct. It, it's that's sort of in the middle of of a country in Mexico. I mean, the, the first wave was around physical manufacturing, which mostly happened in, in, the, in the northern states of Mexico, so close to the border with, with the US. But the second wave, uh, to your point, is, is around data and technology, and that's happening sort of in the center. Although we are, we're mostly focused on, on uh, kind of software type businesses in, in the sense that they operate in the cloud and, and they're focused uh, on the financial services space with technology, right? So that's it's slightly different. There's there's very little hardware, very little facilities. It's mostly about employing engineers, employing uh, data scientists, creative people that can transform the way people deal with money in these countries where there's a massive opportunity. 
And so uh, just uh, I, I want to ask you about that, because I know that's Koru's mission, and I know you are very committed to that mission, and it's very mission-driven. Uh, I know uh, you're trying to make lots of money, but it's also uh, there's also real mission and, uh, at the bottom line as well. Uh, but I just to, to uh, I just want to make sure I understand. So when you're saying that the part of the role you're playing for QED investors being in Mexico is you're looking for other uh, Latin American investment opportunities there. More than looking actively, I'm I'm sort of eyes and in and ears on the ground. So I mean, QED is fortunate in that it's got a, an amazing reputation, and which means that. A lot of the entrepreneurs in the in the space that were interested know of QED, and when they they're interested in raising money and getting help, they come to us, right? So we get a lot of what we call deal flow, uh, which is great just by way of the brand that we built and the reputation that we built. Uh, but what what helps here is that you know I'm I speak the language, I'm local, I'm on the ground, I get to meet a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs, in in sort of I get a first uh, assessment on you know, the, the value and, and, the, and, and how those businesses sort of coexist with the needs of the market because I'm, I'm right there, right? So it's not so much about finding, it's about sort of a set, being a first filter, which by the way also helps Koru because Koru uh, acts as a marketplace, which in one hand addresses consumers, so it's a B2C type proposition, but on the backside of Koru, we, we deal with all the, the, the institutions in the, in the country a lot of which are fintechs, right? So these fintechs could potentially be partners of Koru and could potentially be also candidates for uh, an investment from from QED. Gotcha. Yeah. So I just was trying to I was just trying to parse uh, your your two different roles, one at QED and then at Koru. So you say fintech, that's financial technology. So um, it's this is mostly technology that it, it, it's um, you said it's cloud based. It's um, it, it's artificial intelligence. It's it's right in your wheelhouse, right? It's it's mobile. And what does it mean, financial technology? And what is the mission of Koru? Yeah, great question. Um, so, I mean, let, let me start first with uh, venture capital, since we were talking about before, right? Uh, I, m- most people don't don't know this, but I mean, m- many of the the technology models that have disrupted the world. Uh, and, and some which which are the highest valued companies in the world started as venture capital backed companies, right? Like a lot of these Silicon Valley companies, Uber, for example, Airbnb, uh, Apple, Facebook, etc. Right? And, and and one of the special characteristics about these models, I would say too, at least from my perspective, is um, th- these are companies that are going after huge problems, right? Like problems that. Are, are so big that will be really hard to address without a significant amount of, of, of capital and often without a significant amount of uh, expertise uh, that is relevant to the, to, to the problem, right, upfront. And so these, these venture capital funds help the, the founders who want to address those problems to kind of bridge them from, from that idea to a point where the problem is being solved, the, the so-called product market fit, and what they need at that point is just money to scale it, right? And, and the problems often cannot be solved unless it's solved at scale. And take, for example, the example of, of, of Uber, right? Like be, before Uber, what we had in the world was mostly cabs and taxis, right? And private, uh, you know, limousines or, or black cars that you will hire to get you from point A to point B. And, and with, with Uber, now you have uh, in an app the ability to ask anytime, any, in any place, 
uh, for a car to take you from point A and point B, right? And if you'd analyzed that model uh, before Uber, you would have probably thought of, of, of it as sort of the, the chance of replacing all the cabs in the world, uh, which uh, probably would not have been a very interesting proposition. But if you consider all the expansion that has happened, all the people that stopped driving their cars because they're now using Ubers, uh, but before we're buying a car, and, and if you ex expand all the new business that is being created around Uber, then all of a sudden becomes a, a super interesting uh, proposition. But that's only possible if you can operate that business for many years without generating any profit, right? So that's super counterintuitive, right? Because the traditional business thinking would, would dictate that a business is only a business if you can generate a profit. But uh, in this type of businesses, you have, you're in a situation where you need to be operating with losses for a long period of time until you get to a, a critical mass, typically a significant chunk of the market share, yeah, before you start deaccelerating and turning the company into a profitable, viable business. Right. So those are that's sort of the, the space that we live in. I think you've just made a point that's really profound, which is so often people think of venture capital and uh, as as like the voracious capitalist. Uh, and, and so your point that um, uh, that it's also the fuel for innovation, uh, uh, not just business innovation, but innovation that can have social transformation impact that there is a, a really a, a constructive role uh, that venture capital can play and a mission-driven role and uh, making possible innovation and uh, transformation that wouldn't be possible without huge concentrations of, of capital. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, may, I may be biased. I'm certainly biased, right? Because I'm in, in that space, but that's that's the venture capital that I'm in, right? That's my view on venture capital, and that's the reason I like it, right? Because it's a way of making uh, sort of what may otherwise be impossible possible, right? And that has value for society, for communities. Uh, and and I'm not gonna be, you know, romantic about it and tell you that's the only purpose. Of course, there's money, right? And there, there there's a, there's a financial incentive to do this, and every venture capitalist in the world that I know of wants to have an exit and a, and a big, uh, you know, cash outcome coming out of the risk that they took up front. But, but there's also this dual benefit of, of uh, giving the world something that, uh, that is highly innovative, that is transformative, that solves big problems that otherwise would be really hard to solve. Yeah, it's just such a, a great perspective because, of course, you know, there are sort of the, you know, the evil robber baron versions of venture capitalists. But um, but but I, I, I certainly uh, my experience with business leaders like you um, is uh, uh, is that uh, there's a lot more there. Uh, and, and I think you're a great example of that. So how, how does uh, 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 how does Koru uh, fit into that? Yeah, so I mean, Koru is within the fintech space, which is a fairly vague term. Uh, it basically means financial technology, right? Like, so any any mo business model that is addressing the financial space with technology would be considered a fintech. But you know, it, there are, it, it, most people think of it as sort of neo banks or, or, or banks that are that don't have branches, but it, it, I think it's much more than that. 
I would classify fintech in between in two categories: the, the soft fintechs and the hard fintech. The hard fintechs are the ones that you know integrate all the typical banking services and stack, including debt, for example, so that they can lend people uh, money to people or to their to their clients. Uh, we are more on the on the on the soft side, where, where what we're doing is mostly leveraging technology without uh, balance sheet or, or debt to 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 go and through technology solve problems that otherwise wouldn't be able to be covered or solved. And and what Coru does, let me start for, from explaining what is our mission. Our mission is to enable people to financial well-being. The reason we exist is because. We believe it's unfair that people leave their lives stress about money and, and about finances. And, and I think this is a problem that is way beyond Mexico, right? Like it, it certainly is accentuated in Mexico. In Mexico, 74% of the people experience financial stress on a daily basis, right? And, and, and this is a problem that, that, that we cannot live with, right? And we're determined to, to, to fix it. So, so the question is, how do you solve for this, right? And, and the answer is, we are thankfully in a very unique position for the first time in history in that every, almost every adult uh, in the world, and certainly in Mexico, has a smartphone, has a way to interact. And with that smartphone, with that internet-based connection, comes a lot of data that is uh, de novo, that, is, that didn't exist before, that tells us something about these people, right? So what we've done is we focus in addressing two key aspects of uh, what people need. Number one is access. The second one is financial education. And so what we built is we built a, a digital gym. We're making an analogy with a traditional gym, but it's a digital gym for people to get coaching on finances. And, and the, the, the idea is through this uh, application, it's a mobile-based application where people go and they engage with a financial coach uh, this financial coach will teach them things around uh, budgeting, for example. How do you do your, your, your budget, your income minus your expenses, and, and then you balance it. And, and surprisingly, most people don't even know that basic, but that's kind of like the foundation of what we do, right? Like it's to teach them how to make a budget and manage that budget. Then we get into things like savings, right? Like you need to have an, a, an emergency savings. And, and so what does that mean? How many how many months should I be saving for, right? And how do I get the money to save into it, right? Like, where can I cut my expenses so I can get it to it? Yeah, then we get into things like investments, right? Like, especially with the, uh, you know, the Z, gener Z generation and, and, and millennials, right? Like, that are entering into the workforce. There's, there's a lot of curiosity about uh, investments, right? They, they hear about companies like Robinhood in the U.S. or they hear about uh, the, the stock markets just, uh, rising up and they, they want a piece of it, but they're, they're, they, they, they're starting their income. They don't have a whole lot of uh, disposable income. They don't want to risk it. They want to learn about it before they get their hands into it. And they, they, they don't necessarily have a financial uh, education or acumen or they're not sure where to start. Is that it? Exactly. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't know how to start. And, and they don't even know the basics to your point, right? Like they don't know the budgeting piece of it, right? Which, which we encourage them to, to go through the, the, the budgeting piece. And, and they don't, they, they, they don't even, like, so we created this notion called Coru Pesos, right? Which is, you know, Coru Dollars is, is fictitious money that allows them to play a little bit with investments without money. 
right? But they can, they learn to to the, the types of assets that they can invest. They they learn the cadence. They learn how those would have performed if it was real money. And when they are ready for it, then we connect them to a a, a digital wallet or or an, uh, kind of an investment bank um, or some kind of service that will help them actually do investment. So they get to practice almost like a, a practice game or a scrimmage. Exactly, it's a simulation, and and there is and th that part is so important um, because you know the, one of the things that we found is that financial education is by definition boring, right? Like we are not the first people to try financial education. Many have tried, and most have failed, right? And and one of the th the reasons we or the causes for the failure is because it's it's really hard to teach someone for example, about mortgages when they are 24 years old, right? And they're just coming into the workforce. It's not that they won't understand what a mortgage is. It's, it's, the problem is that it's completely relevant at the point in their lives, right? And when it becomes relevant, then uh, they need to learn it again and, and they'll have resources to learn it again, right? So what we've done is we flip financial education into an object, objective-oriented uh, type coaching, right? Like the, in a similar way to the way you get uh, physically fit, right? So you go to the to, you go to the gym, you talk to a coach, and you say, "I want to be that triple black master of Taekwondo, and I have no idea how to start." Right? Like the information is out there; they could actually go and for free search the web, watch YouTube videos. But why do they not do that? And why do they go to a coach? The, the reason is because the coach is way more engaging. Is is, is socially uh, challenging, right? Because there's there's a, an appointment that you've already made and you need to attend that appointment. And that proves to be much more effective because those are the people that actually achieve their goals, right? Like, And it's not because of the information, it's because of that engagement, right? So what we've tried to do and what, what we're doing right now is we're making that financial coach available for everybody for free in their wallets, right? In, meaning in their phone um, so that they can they can get that type of practice. Yeah. So how much of it is the gamification and how much of it is the relationship with the coach? It's, it's, it's a combination of, of, of both, right? I would say it's much more the gamification because the, the, what, we, what we've done is we encourage people to invite others so they can uh, get the coaching, but at the same time compete with their friends, with their peers. And the gamification is, is what really... Uh, gets them to 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 come, but but I I have to be honest, and and the coach um, itself, it's 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 got is the one that has got the 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 discipline, it's got the rhythm, it's got the the knowledge, the information. So it's it's a little bit of both. Uh, but but having said that, I think that the coach, I mean, there's a, a question that I get often asked, which is, is the coach a robot or is it a person? And and um, we found that it's way more engaging to have human conversations. And we put a lot of effort in, in making the, the experience of the coach very human, right? Because that's what people engage with best, right? Now, it's a bit of a dilemma because in order for us to be able to give it to, uh, we have 44 million people in our addressable segment, in the immediate addressable segment in Mexico, right? In order to get to 44 million people, it's impossible to, to, to make it with, with uh, you know, real coaches, right? We need to be able to leverage technology. So what we have is a hybrid of both, right? Where, where, where the user first engages with a trained robot that feels and acts like a coach, 
but the moment that robot, like the conversation gets out of the, the, the robot's hands, then uh, a flesh and blood person engages and, and kind of feels in for any kind of lack of human uh, engagement. But, but uh, yeah, that humanization is a big component to, to answer your question, right? Like it's, 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 it's a, the human aspect as well as the, the social aspect of challenging your friends. So it's it's gamification with a first a robot coach, which I don't know. I kind of like the idea of having a robot coach. I mean, I think I've, I I don't know a lot of robots. I wouldn't mind getting to know a robot. And then eventually you get a real person. Yeah, eventually you get a real person if you want. But I mean, the the, the idea and, the, and sort of what makes us uh, unique is is uh, that behind this there's a lot of data and there's AI or artificial intelligence models etc that help that robot learn from the humans right so e eventually we will make Bruce happy because the robot will know how to to make friends with uh, Bruce and every single one of our uh, 2.5 million users yeah and if you if you believe you know do you know Noah Yuval Harari's books uh, Sapiens and Homo Deus and, yes yeah yes. and, and so, you know, if, if you believe Harari uh, then the artificial intelligence will probably you know look the robot might end up being better at being my friend because it knows how you know it doesn't really have its own ego and uh, it knows just how to make me uh, feel good and uh, and help me feel good about uh, getting healthy fiscally. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, th I think it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a, a mix. I, 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 don't, I don't think we'll anytime soon get to that for everybody, but, but I think there's, there's an 80-20 rule, right? Like I, I think we can get uh, to a friend-like, like, like a, an effective friend-like relationship with a robot up to maybe a 70%. In the best case scenario, but there, there's this other 30% that will always be human and it, it's going to also help that relationship with the robot evolve over time, right? Because one of the things that is unique about human interactions is that they evolve and they grow, right? And, and, and you know, like in, in order for, for a robot to grow and evolve, they need to train from somebody and that the only source for that is a human, right? So, yeah, it's it, it's it's a bit of a hybrid of both, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm intrigued, and um, so so the mission, as I understand it, is to provide financial education in a scalable way to millions of people who otherwise would not have access to that kind of systematic, structured, uh, evidence-based. Um, financial education and strategic advice. Yeah, I mean, I would say more that that is the how we achieve that mission. Um, and, but but the, the mission is to enable financial wellness. That's that's what we are like stubborn about, right? Like, and in, in, in we are we are enabling financial education. But the, but there's another aspect that we're enabling, which is access to products because at the end of the day it's not us who will end up being the sort of the, the for example a brokerage account for the investments or the credit card provider or the payments method right like there's an, a whole ecosystem of providers and what we're doing is we are we're learning about the needs of the user and we're giving the user options of products that they should consider right so we are uh, creating transparency of the options, and we are personalizing those options for the needs of the of the user, and then the user will will get to select which one of those they want to try or use, 
And what we do is we directly onboard it. So we make that transition very seamless, right? Like we, uh, part of what the coach can do is take that data and pass it all over, for example, to the brokerage account so that they can start, now that they've been trained on how to make investments, they can start making investments for real. But, but that, the, the, all the information that they, they've already spent uh, and, and used at Koru, they have the option to transfer over and make that, that transition much more seamlessly. And, and sad enough, that portion of, you know, what are my choices, that aspect of what are my choices for most of, of, of Mexicans is just, uh, or before Koru, it was just a black box, right? Like it's really like most people simply will just get the first product that offers them to do something and, and they didn't have the, the ability to see the, the choices, right? So we're, what we're doing is giving them choices. And by that, we're giving them power to make better decisions with their lives. And I know you to be uh, mission-driven as a human being. I know you're, I mean, there's a lot to admire about you. Uh, you know, you've, you've pursued uh, uh, your business career with tremendous uh, 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 success and uh, you're uh, an athlete. Um, you do marathons and triathlons. Um, you know, you've, you've got, got an MBA. You, you, uh, you spent 14 years uh, at MicroStrategy and it en uh, ended up exiting with a sale to Facebook. I mean, you've done so much, but I think, you know, I know you to be somebody who at the core, your, your, I think you're driven very much by values and integrity and, um, and uh, that go back to your upbringing. Um, can you, where do values and integrity fit in your sort of life story? Yeah. I mean, it goes back to, to the very beginning and I don't know how, how, how far back we need to go, but I mean, the, so I, I was born and raised in Mexico city to, to a very large and united family. My, I am sort of the third generation Mexican. Uh, most of my heritage is from, from Spain and Germany. Um, you know, born to a family with eight siblings on each one of my, my two parents' sides, right? And, and my, my cousins, my, my first cousins, you know, were like siblings to me, right? Like, and, and so we create this like super uh, strong bond uh, among family, family values and, and commonalities. Uh, you know, a lot of that, you know, the, the, the traditional Mexican ways around uh, religion. I was brought up uh, Catholic, yeah, and, and still am. Um, so, but but uh, yeah, a lot of the values revolve around around that, right? Like honesty, generosity, kindness, uh, discipline, resilience, and, and a lot of hard work, right? Like the, the, the like most uh, families of, of immigrants, you know, it takes a lot of, of work to to kind of climb up the ladder, and certainly was the case in, in my family. So I I I, I saw my dad, for example. Um, you know, first starting the corporate world after getting his uh, education, working for Ford Motor Company, and then starting his own business, risking it all, go get his own business, only to see it destroyed in the 1994 crisis. I don't know if you recall the, the tequila crisis, right, where the Mexico just plummeted after a big devaluation, and he had a bunch of debt in, in U.S. dollars and, and uh, had no choice but to, to file for Chapter 11 or the equivalent in Mexico and lose it all, right, like in, in that process. Yeah, so I Wait, now you call that the tequila crisis? Yeah. 
the night before. Why, why is it called the tequila crisis? Because I think it was the, the because it was originated in Mexico. I mean, the, the devaluation of a Mexican peso generated a a kind of cascading effect in many other um, economies. All right. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Because when I think of tequila, when I when I when I have had a tequila crisis now and then, and it's either it's either too much tequila or not enough. Yeah. In this case, it have it has no direct correlation with tequila, but tequila happened to be in Mexico. <laughs> so you saw your dad uh, 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 face that kind of business crisis, and I I believe, if I know the story, bounce back. Yeah, he bounced back, uh, kind of remade himself into a businessman again, and and um, yeah, I mean it, it was it, it was just a a life of ups and downs, and in in all those scars just end up making you stronger. And I, by no means can I really um, claim that I just suffer through childhood. It was quite the opposite, but it, but but you definitely have multiple uh, you know rough moments that. In the in 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 that in that situation makes you feel miserable, but in hindsight, always makes you stronger, right? It makes you much more resilient, makes you you know come, come be able to come around and also avoid mistakes, right? Like because like for example, now that I'm so deep into the financial services space, you know, I, I, like I look at the the strategy that they use for financing the 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 expansion of the they have a kitchen. Uh, factory uh, with three plants and they have made massive investments all in dollars being operating in Mexico, right? Like when, when I look at that from my, with, with the benefit of hindsight, with the knowledge that I have right now, I'm like, how can you have done that? Right. And I would never do that. Um, I, I, well, I want to say I, w- I would never do that again myself. Uh, but, but uh, it's, it's just a, a lesson that, that uh, if he hadn't gone through that, we wouldn't have, right? But anyway, I mean, it's 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 a it's a a story of of uh, hard work, resilience, uh, loyalty, high loyalty, and help, and like just um, helping each other. In, in my case, or in the case of my family, it was a lot around the the sort of the siblings helping themselves, uh, and then the, the cousins, and always being generous with the people. Uh, that they were kind of meeting in their lives, and, and those are the things that you know stuck to me, and, and sort of the values that I that I conduct myself with uh, these days. And uh, how would you describe um, how that affects your your approach to working relationships, your colleagues, uh, the people who report to you? Uh, does that have an effect on how you look at your sort of responsibilities and your role in those relationships at work? So every time I, I make uh, a difficult decision, you know, I, I, I ask myself two questions, right? Like the, 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 the first question is, how, how am I going to explain this to my parents, right? There has to be an explanation to them and, and, uh, and, and one that, that they'll approve, right? Or they would approve. If, if I had to explain it to them. And the second one is, uh, how am I going to explain this to my kids, right? Yeah, I've got three kids, as you know, and, and, uh, and that's, that's sort of a function of integrity, right? Like I'm, what I'm doing is the right thing. Is this something that is going to make things better for the future? Yes or no, right? And, and uh, will they be a shame ever to hear that I did something like this? Or not, right? And if the answer is yes, then you know I simply don't do it, and I shy away from that, even though I may have a bunch of other 
uh, reasons to do it. So it's definitely there in my in my in my life. I I don't do this with every decision, but I do it with the difficult ones. So so they're they're like your true north. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, for the difficult decision, I mean, there are many other more there are many other questions that I I ask myself that change from from decision to decision, but but uh, when decisions are really difficult, those are the the tiebreakers, right? So 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 the really difficult ones, you need your parents and your children, your true north. All other decisions, uh, uh, you you make in close consultation with your wife, <laughs> or, or she makes them. <laughs> uh, I have to say. That. <laughs> I, I think I can believe I can believe all this. And listen, uh, if I had access to Lisa when I had decisions to be made, I it would I would be very comfortable delegating those decisions to her. Yeah, me, me too. That's why she. I'm happy. I'm happy her making most of the decisions. Uh, but um, yeah, it's. I mean, we married into the same family, and and you know, frankly, I mean, and thankfully, the the you know, like the the person that you choose as a life partner is. Is uh, one of those super big decisions, and thankfully, I'm in a situation where I think what my parents or what my children will feel proud or not about me uh, have a direct correlation with uh, with my wife's family, right? Like my my father's family. I mean, you, I ended up surrounding myself uh, with people that I have commonality in values, and I think that's such an important thing to 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 do, right? Otherwise, you end up in a in a very tough spot your entire life. Yeah, I think that's really true, and uh, and I and I I was teasing a little bit about Lisa, but the truth is, um, uh, you know, I I don't know your parents very well, and uh, but I I have known Lisa's parents for a long, long time, and uh, they are among the most admirable people I have. That whole family, um, they are amazing. They, they they are one of my sources of true north. I often think about them and their values driven. Uh, approach to life. And um, I, I just, uh, I, I, I agree. I think, um, I think that surrounding yourself with people whose values align with you uh, and that choice of a life partner, uh, if you're going to have one uh, and, and, and your family uh, and true North, uh, that's all the older I get, the more I, I, I feel like that's the most important uh, set of decisions and the most important people. Absolutely, and and you know, I when, when I think about my that decision on my parents, I, I definitely think about yeah, Anne and Dennis. Um, and 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 for some of the decisions, my my top advisor has been my my Dennis is my father-in-law, as you know, uh, for 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 your audience. Uh, and and. Uh, you know, he he always has this uh, very clear-minded uh, kind of acid way of looking at things with that true northern mind that that um, just creates a lot of clarity in my mind for for those decisions. He probably doesn't know it, but he's been uh, instrumental in in a number of the decisions that I that I made and I've struggled with in my life. Yeah, and for the uh, well, I, I can imagine that. And for the record, he served in the United States Army and served as uh, is, is an attorney and an officer of the court, and served as a prosecutor and as a county commissioner in Oregon, and um, is a heck of a guy. As we're uh, uh, getting close to wrapping up, let, let me ask you the question I ask a lot of people: If somebody's listening to this and thinking, "Wow, this guy is so cool," how do I get to be like Fernando Gonzalez? What, 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 what's your advice to somebody? If, 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 if you're, um, I know that you mentor people, uh, how do you give them uh, that 
kind of formula for success? What, what's your advice to people? First of all, I would say find balance, right? Like if you don't have balance in your life, if you don't find balance in, in you know, the, the, all the, the, the balls that everybody's juggling every, every day, many balls, right? Like and, and the key to be able to juggle that is, is uh, find balance, find the right type of priorities to be able to serve all the different aspects of your life, right? So find balance will be my, my first choice. You, you've mentioned many times you doing triathlons and, and um, marathons and tennis and all these things. And, and frankly, I'm not that good of an athlete but I find a lot of balance in doing sports, right? And, and it, I, I have a sort of a very competitive nature and the, the sports is sort of my outlet to uh, not focus all the competitiveness at home or, 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 or at work, right? And, and it just keeps me balanced, right, to, to, to do sports. But everybody's got a different thing, right? So find balance will be my, my, first, uh, my first recommendation. The, the second one, and I have to say it because it's very much what it's worked for me is Question every barrier. Uh, you will bring down many of those barriers and you will free yourself when you do, right? Yeah, it's sort of the entrepreneurial uh, or the entrepreneur in me, right? Like if, if, you, if, if you find something that you're, that you're questioning that shouldn't be there, uh, find a way to, 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 to solve for that, right? And, and the, the benefit that you have is that you, you, you already have the passion, right? Because you found it, it's your baby, go in and... Uh, and Try to solve for it, right? And, and, and then don't just let yourself uh, comfortable with where you're going with it. Try to, to understand the, the meaning of what you're doing, but also the details, right? Like people always say the devil is in the details. But, um, you know, I think, I think that the devil is really not understanding the relationship in between the meaning of things and the details that drive it, right? So sort of try to understand that, that uh correlation and, and be persistent, be patient, be loyal to yourself and to those who, that, that have earned your loyalty, right? That, that's, uh, that's my, my best uh, attempt at, at uh, giving a prescriptive way of, of uh, you know, being successful, whatever that means. So uh, I love that formula, uh, balance, uh, it, it balance, question every barrier uh, and uh, persistence and loyalty uh, I think that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good formula. Well, yeah, it's worked for, worked for me. I mean, the jury is still out. There's a lot that I still have to do, but if, if, if anyone wants a recommendation from me, that that's what I would recommend. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good formula, uh, for success. Uh, Fernando Gonzalez, thank you for being a guest on the Indispensables. Bruce, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. In our next episode, I'll talk with LaRue Graham. He's the current CEO and executive director of the Boys and Girls Club of Meriden, Connecticut. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.